Hello and welcome to another episode of Life Story. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Honig. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me. If you're returning to my podcast, thank you so much for your continued support. What Life Story is, is it's really my excuse to get to hang out with a lot of my friends and mentors, find out about the highs and lows of their lives, and what's led them into the person that they are today. Today, I have one of my favorite people from when I was an undergraduate at Iowa State University. This person was always so full of life and welcomed everybody to campus and just had a never-ending smile on their face. So I was like, this is a person I need to have on my podcast. So I'd like to introduce today my friend, Jesus. Jesus currently started his new position at the University of Northern Iowa while he is finishing up his doctorate degree. And with that, here is the life story of Jesus Lazarga Estrada. Tell me your story, your life story. Hey, Jesus, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me and thanks for um, for being patient with me. Hey. Since I know it's been a few weeks of, actually probably months of you um, contacting me. So thank you for your patience. I'm excited. Hey, no worries at all. I am always here to kind of just, I want you all on the show. And you are not my first person that I've waited to have on the show. <laughs> um, So for my listeners and stuff... I kind of mentioned this in the intro, but you and I met when I was an undergrad student working as a student assistant with admissions. Um, and you would come in and do help out with our campus visit days. And you just were always somebody that was just so welcoming. And that's one of the big things I remembered about like, I want to go into student affairs because I want to be like Jesus. No, thanks. No, yeah, no. You know, um, Iowa State was different for me. So, you know, my undergraduate you know, I got from the University of Northern Iowa an opportunity to go to Iowa State kind of came up um, to oversee their freshman recruitment and then um, multicultural recruitment as well. So you were one of, uh, in the same Iowa State manner, you were one of the first welcoming faces for me uh, from the student standpoint. So I appreciate you and uh, thank you for your kind words. Oh, yeah, of course. Um so as my show kind of is, we'll just go through your life story, share fun facts, share whatever you'd really like. But let's start off with you as a little kid. What are some really good memories you have? What was life like for you growing up? Yeah, so I was born in Mazatlán, Sinaloa, Mexico. Okay. And my family immigrated to California um, when I was two. Um you know, in California, a lot of the memories that I have, um, we were only there from like two to six in terms of my age. But uh, a lot of the memories that I have was that my family all lived in one big house. Um, so I don't have any um, siblings. I come mm-hmm. from a single parent household. Okay. Um, but I have a lot of cousins. So my grandma, um, who helped raise me, um, she had 10 kids total. Oh, Wow. Right. Yeah. And then um, her kids, of course, my uncles and aunts had a lot of kids. My mom was the only one that shows that only have one. Mm-hmm. So shout out to her. I liked the uh, only child. I mean, I'm also um, an only child, too. So I get that life. You are? Mm-hmm. It's so nice. Like the people think we're spoiled, but we're really not. <laughs> no. Like, if anything, you know, I think it taught me to to truly share. And I wanted to share because I didn't have that opportunity to. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so a lot of my memories, honestly, um, come from growing up and being around with a lot of my cousins. Um, so I'm still (coughs) very much connected with a lot of them and, uh, just playing. And then eventually, um, 
you know, we moved to Iowa when I was six and that was, um, just different. So what was the reason for Iowa? Do you know? Like that just seems like from California to Iowa, that's a big change. Correct. (laughs) So one of my uncles lived here in Iowa that I don't know why he was already here, but, um, at the time he contacted my mom and the rest of my family and said, Hey, there's a lot of employment opportunities here. Sure. You guys should come over. And at the time my mom was unemployed. So she decided to move. That big move was, um, because of, um, IDP, mm-hmm. which is now known as Tyson. Okay. Um, so she ended up moving to Columbus Junction, Iowa, which is Southeast Iowa, small town, like 1800 people. And, we settled there. She never ended up working at Tyson or IBP. She ended up working somewhere else. Um, but that was kind of the big move. Okay. And that was the reason why. So then I've been in Iowa ever since I was six, and now I'm 31. Yeah. And so you said you had an uncle that lived here. Did you have cousins then that were also here? Or were you leaving really most of your family unit? So literally, my family is very tight. So mm-hmm. my grandma, you know, um, was the glue. Yep. And... When that one uncle was here and he called the rest of us, literally everybody packed their stuff. Okay. To Iowa, like nine out of the 10 siblings. So my grandma's kids were in Columbus Junction, Iowa. Wow. Isn't that insane? That's so crazy. But it's nice like that you're not alone doing all of this. Correct. So I think that was um, big for my mom. You know, she relied a lot on her sisters and brothers and my grandma um, as a support system, you know, like I mentioned before, especially since um, she is, or she was, she is a single parent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that unity helped her uh, raise me, you know, like I was raised not just by her, but by my grandma, by my uncles, by my aunts. It takes a Um, village. Truly, it truly does. So I'm very appreciative of all of them. Um, so what were some of the favorite activities you like to do with your cousins? Were you all relatively the same age group or was there a lot of like age gap between the kids? Um, there was a couple that we were really close in age and we were, um, extremely close. And like I said, we still are. And now a lot of them, um, live in different cities, different States. Um, but at that time I would say we would just go out and play. And I remember there was this, um, I, I don't know the name of it. It's like where you put one foot inside mm-hmm. and then you spin it around. Oh, I know around. exactly what you're talking about. I don't know you the know name of it, but I know count. it. It keeps count. Yes. <laughs> so we would play that. We would like ride our bikes. We were rollerblade, which is something that you kind of rarely see now. Yeah. Like when you see outside, there's no kids playing. No. Uh, but a lot of, you know, kids are now like inside playing video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like I got a Nintendo once as a gift. Like the uh, Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. Never played it because I didn't even know how to hook it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of it was just, you know, us hanging out, being outside, um, going to the Swinging Bridge, which is like a Columbus Junction, you know, landmark cool. that people uh, know about or some people know about. Uh, so a lot of that was just spent outside. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you mentioned video games and stuff. Um, I didn't get many game consoles when I was little, but they, when I did get them, it was never, I had asked for them. It was like, my parents were like, oh, this would be something cool. We think you'd enjoy it. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And I used it, but I was always like, dang, I never even knew this thing existed. Right. 
I was very much more of a reader or like you where I was doing something outside or exploring. No, yeah. Um, so what was like some of your hobbies growing up and stuff? And it can be both when you were in school or even out of school hobbies you had. Yeah, I was not much of an athlete. So I remember I went out, I tried out or not tried out, but went out for cross country. Okay. When I was in fifth grade and I did it for one day and I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I couldn't do it. And, um, I, um, I was always, um, also a bigger kid. Mm. So I was husky pants. Um, so running was not my thing. Sure. And I remember joining band eventually. And that's kind of where I found my home. Nice. Yeah. So I, um, play the clarinet. Okay. Why clarinet? Uh, why so where my family's from like i said mazatlan um but what we call bandas which are bands um the popular instrument is the clarinet okay and there's a big famous band um in mexico which is called la banda recodo Mm -hmm. which the people who started that band their last name is lizarraga okay and they're from mazatlan where my family's from so i'm like i want to be like them i feel like we're related so i'm gonna do it too uh, so I ended up doing the clarinet and I loved it and uh, played it for like six years. Mm-hmm. But in between that, I got bored. Um, I felt like it came naturally to me, not to toot my own horn, but I was <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, I want to learn like a different instrument. So I remember like I would harass my band instructor and I was like, hey, I want to play the drums. Okay. And I was like, I feel like we need a drummer. For marching band, like if I learned over the summer, can I be in in marching band? And mm-hmm. he was like, "Yeah, if you learn the drums, if you learn the quans, which are the four, yeah, 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 we'll put you in." So I learned it over the summer, played it um, for a couple of years. I then got bored, and I was <laughs> like, "I want to learn how to play uh, something else." And I knew that he was needing a trombone player, so okay. I was like, "Hey, I'll learn a trombone over the summer." And he didn't, uh, he was like, uh, I'm like, come on, just put me in. So then he taught me over the summer and I ended up being in jazz band, mm-hmm. uh, with a trombone. So I'm someone that I would say musically, like I lean musically more. Yeah. I never knew you played all of those instruments and it coming from <laughs> being a, a musician with the trumpet, it's not easy going and learning clarinet to drums to trombone because you have to do so many different things with those instruments. Yeah, and like the you know the way that you shape your mouth is yep. different. The music is different. One's woodwind, uh, one's brass. Yeah, so that that one was harder than the quants. Sure, but um, I just like challenges. So um, that's kind of what I did in, in in high school, middle school. I also was involved in Business Professionals of America, which is okay. kind of like FBLA, like Future Business Leaders of America, like the business one or adjacent to like ffa yeah yeah um, and i love that you know i competed um uh, in the state and that's kind of what um got me interested in majoring in something along the lines of business even though i wanted to be a music teacher okay interesting yeah business and music don't always go together but i mean you can do whatever you if you have it in your mind you can do it oh um, right but let's let's put a hold on that one because I want to talk about that as we're getting closer to college. But sticking to like elementary, middle, and high school life, 
Um, what friends groups did you have? Was it a lot of your cousins or did you make a lot of really good friends throughout school? Yeah, so I honestly would say, like, from my high school time, I only maybe have, like, one good friend. So a lot of, um, I feel like I kept to myself. Um, I feel like I was nice to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't would say that I had, like, I was a friend group person. Okay. I feel like I got a lot of my friends in in college. Like, college was, like, a start for me. Okay. Um, But even then, I think a lot of it is rooted in how I was raised. So... Um, my mom always told me like, there's, you, you don't have friends. Like it's hard Mm -hmm. to really call people friends. So like Mm -hmm. a definition of friend for me, based on how I was raised looks different. Yeah. So to me, like, and I always say this, but I'm like, I feel that we throw the word love a lot, you know, and hate is thrown a lot. Sure. Um, And the term friend is also thrown a lot um, as well. But I'm like, um, like, to me, a friend, based on how I was grown, raised, is, like, someone who, like, if you call them at 2 a.m., right, and you need something, they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading a story of this dad and son, and the son um, told his dad, hey, I'm getting married, you know, this day, this time. Can you invite all of my friends? And he gave him, like, a big friend list, right? Yep. The day of his wedding came, day of his wedding came, and then um, there was only two people at his wedding from that list. And wow. he was mad. And he said, Dad, like, I told you to invite everyone. Like, did you drop the ball? What happened? And the dad said, I did. He said, I called them all this morning, today. Mm-hmm. I told them that you had an emergency to come here at this time. And two of them showed up. He said, those are your friends. Wow. So I've carried that with me, you know? And yeah. I feel like that... Um, maybe push me away from some people in middle school, high school. And then I carry some of that along to college, but I've been more intentional of opening myself up more, um, but still, you know, creating and cultivating a tight knit group that I can truly trust. And that I know that um, I'm being supported by them. It's just mutual. Right. Yeah. But that's kind of my experience with friends. I don't feel like a lot. I, I had a lot. Um, and still today I was at, I, I have, there's minimal people that I can just truly count on. Sure. No, I, that's, I feel like that was too deep. No, that was wonderful. <laughs> I've never heard of that story, but like it does resonate so much of who's there for you in the emergencies. Um, I had a really good friend at Iowa state that would always say, never throw around the word best friend too much and stuff. BC's like, everybody could be a friend of yours if you choose that not everyone is a best friend and so that story made me think of that and it was like something we just were walking on campus and i'm like huh you know that's just one of those things that's always stuck with me i'm like that's such a thing because we do use the word friend so much or even best friend and it's like who really is that who counts as that yeah no that and that's kind of the same you know framework or mentality and yeah that's true and um i was gonna say something else that i forgot um yeah, I think that, that you know, over time, I also used to have, like, separate friend groups. Like, friends yeah. that I would go in, drink with. Friends that I would have, like, a movie night with. Friends that... And eventually, that got... Um, uh, I grew out of that, too, because the same mentality as your friend, right? Mm-hmm. Of... Uh, it was... it. There wasn't any deep connection. It was very superficial, right? And sure. I was forced to create a conversation. 
And to me, when you're in the right space with the right people, conversations flow naturally, right? They're mm-hmm. not forced. And I think those are the vibes and the auras that you want to be around. Those are the people that bring life into you and you bring life into them. Like it's just natural. It just flows. And I think that's the kind of energy that I've um, now are, is more, um, I'm more intentional of having, right? Mm-hmm. Just for my own mental health um, and vice versa. Yeah. No, I'm going to, I'm going to remember this conversation for a long time. Have it stick with me, do some thinking about it. Cause I really liked this. Um, did you have any teachers that were really close to you as a kid or like ones that were like, dang, this person is start setting me off on the right path? Yeah, I would say, um, one of my favorite teachers and then in a weird way, um, my password was, was her phone number, her like extension <laughs> for the longest time. <laughs> hey, that means that person's her, stuck. Like, I need to help. Her extension number was always like my password for the longest time. But um, one of the teachers was my business teacher in high school. Okay. So she's the one that pushed me to be involved in that business group, to run as president for that business group, to compete um, at the state level. And then I ran for state office um, as well eventually because of her. Mm-hmm. And like I said, my, my interest in business was rooted in the support and guidance that she provided me. And then I ended up majoring in accounting because she even made two additional classes just for me wow. at the high school level. So that to me was very important. And I kind of wanted to um, impress her, you know? Yeah. And so she had a big influence for me um, during my high school time. That's great. I mean, if they're going to create classes for you, that's somebody that means a lot and really sees something in you. Right, right. Um, before we start moving on to college life, do you have any big holidays that like your family shared that were sometimes that brought everyone together or something a big, uh, oh, what am I thinking about? Uh, maybe you have your own just celebrations that you really do or make a holiday a lot bigger. Yeah, I would say two of the biggest holidays that we, um, would get together for would always be Christmas. Everyone would come, you know, together and Mm -hmm. we would open the presents at midnight and we would have karaoke and we had a combination of like Mexican food and Puerto Rican food because one of my aunts is married to a Puerto Rican. Um, So it was like a nice blend of different, even um, Latine cultures, you know, coming together. Uh, And then the other big one too was New Year's Eve. Okay. So we all got together for New Year's Eve as a family, again, as a unit, and we kind of were thankful for another year of being together, you know, alive, Mm -hmm. um, healthy to some extent, you know, but we made it out and welcoming the New Year together. Um, So those were the the major ones that, uh, sadly, we've gone away from just because of things that have happened in the family with, and I'll maybe I'll talk later, like the death of my grandma, um, that people then started moving away. So, you know, those are some of the nice memories that I have of like some of these big gatherings that um, no longer happen, but I think, you know, traditions change and evolve and that's part of maybe life too. I agree. Yes. We should talk some more about that because um, when I was younger too, I felt like our families really got together more 
and when we've had some great grandparents pass away or other family members, we've ended up slowly going to like more of our immediate family groups and don't meet up as a big family anymore. So I feel like that's not, that is something a lot of people go through. And I feel like, cause they're the glue, Yeah, you know, they are the glue. They're the, the ones that bring the together. And... The matriarchs or patriarchs of each family. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, moving on to like college life for you, you said music was important for you. Business was important. You thought you might be a music teacher, thought you might be an accountant. Where did all that come from? What, what, where did you end up choosing for school? Yeah, so um, it was always kind of cultivated in me that I needed to go to college by my mom, right? Sure. And um, I'm a first-generation college student, so I'm the first in my family, you know, to go to college. And uh, we knew that I was going to go. We just didn't know how to get there. Okay. Um, like I said, I wanted to be a music teacher. My mom said, no, you're going to be an accountant because they make a lot of money. Okay. However, her... You know, her, um, what she saw as an accountant was the H&R Block person. <laughs> okay. <over text. laughs> so she wanted me to, me to be the H&R person. And I said, okay, well, I'm, you know, I like what they do. They seem cool. They seem nice. I'll major in the county and go from there. So uh, still not having a route. I remember um, in high school, my last semester, literally like maybe a couple months before I graduated, there, there was always a recruiter and admissions counselor mm -hmm. from Muscatine Community College. And she was always there during lunchtime. Okay. And I would always go and talk to her. And one day she said, hey, why don't you fill out this application? It's a scholarship app. Uh, and it's due tomorrow. I said, okay. So I took it. I filled it out. Um, handed in the, the paperwork the following day. And I didn't know what the scholarship was. And then a few weeks later, I, it was announced that I had received the scholarship. And the scholarship was a full tuition scholarship to go to Muscatine Community College. Holy crap. For Yeah, I know, for two years. And it also um, had an additional like five or 6000 per year for two years. So when I transferred somewhere, yeah. excuse me, um, I had some funds to go with me. Yeah. So, you know the choice was clear. Like I was going to go to Muscatine Community College. Yeah. I mean, for them just being like, Hey, sign this thing. And now you're like, Oh, I just got at least two years of my college paid for. Right. So, you know, it was a no brainer. I ended up going to, uh, MCC. So Muscatine for, um, two years. Um, uh, and my mom wanted me to transfer to Iowa because Iowa city to Columbus Junction is literally there. Yep. Um, and I remember at um, there was a college fair within Muscatine Community College that um, there was, you know, recruiters there and so forth. And I remember seeing this guy. He was by himself at the table, and I felt bad. So I um, approached him, and I said, hey, I have some questions. Um, and his name is Paul Sapp, and he was a recruiter for UNI. Mm -hmm. And honestly, he was the only person that would respond to my emails quick. Wow. Not only that, he he responded to my emails, but then he told me the next steps. You know, and I think that was unknowingly at the time that was very important to me because I didn't know what questions to ask. Yeah. Um, so I ended up applying to UNI, got some additional scholarships. Uh, they had a great 
business program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up transferring to UNI and I did my two years here and then um, ended up majoring in business management with an emphasis in human resource. Okay. So that was my undergraduate degree. Um, but that's kind of my journey to college and you know, my work in admissions, I've always tried to replicate the work that he did for me because you yeah. never know who you're working with um, and, and being intentional and proactive in those in answering those questions. That's great. So was it just that your mom was like, I think you should go into accounting and HR work that made it like, I'm not going to be a music teacher anymore? Or did you still have it in the back of your mind? Like, maybe I'm going to see, I'm going to take maybe a class in college or I'm going to do this to make sure that isn't my passion. No, I, it was literally my mom because, it, you know, um, a degree was very much correlated with money. Sure. And and for me, it was, you know, get the degree, uh, make money so that you can help and yes. support your mom. And so uh, the music, you know, thing kind of like, I would have said it died off. Um, like I, right now, like if I could pick up a clarinet, I would or drums. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, it was very, I was very much tunnel vision. Like I was on a mission and to me, I'm like, I need to get done and then get a job and mm-hmm. then go from there. Okay. No, yeah. that's cool. I I get that. I get the whole, you need a job that's going to make you a lot of money and stuff. That was in the back of my mind too. And kind of why I ended up going into teaching initially was because everyone's always going to need teachers. That's a job that's going to be around. Um, which I didn't end up even going to be a teacher, but, um, that's here, there and everywhere. So you got to you and I, and as you were saying before, that's really where you started making a lot of your friend groups and started coming to be you. Um, talk about that. What did you and I really do for you that made you into person you are today? Yeah, no, you know, at you and I started getting involved in different like groups. So I was involved in like a hall Senate for the dorm that I lived in that, um, which allowed me to meet people. Um, I was a tour guide for you and I for a couple of years. Um, I was involved in a uh, business group, so um, Society for Human Resource Management, that allowed me to also meet people and then compete um, and apply kind of like what I learned. Um, and through there, you know, that, that first semester, I remember I lived on a floor that was um, with... Um, different levels so like it was incoming freshmen sophomores juniors and seniors mm-hmm. so my first year I lived with an incoming freshman I was a transfer so I was my third year there um, but even through through that um, through that floor I met a couple friends with and I ended up living with the following year in the dorms um, so to me like you and I just gave me the opportunities that I didn't know that I had yeah you know coming from a small town you and I was super big sure um you know, I'm like, oh, they have a Walmart and a high V. You know, <laughs> it was like the little things. I'm like, I can never go back to Columbus Junction. Uh-huh. Everything that I need is here. Uh, and even then, like, uh, I felt that because I transferred, uh, I didn't get enough. Right? I didn't get the full ex- you and I experience or student experience because when I was at MCC, I commuted. Sure. You know, back and forth between my home and campus. So here, after two years, I was craving more. Yeah. I contemplated adding a minor just so I could say an additional year. Mm-hmm. But financially, I'm like, it's not feasible. Yeah. Um, I then heard about, I'm like, how do I become, 
you know, an admissions counselor, like these people, right? Like how yeah. do I become them? And then I heard about a master's program. And I'm like, oh, and to me, once again, like I never imagined myself getting, I didn't even know what a master's was, mm-hmm. right? Like I only knew a bachelor's and that was it. That was the end. So I'm like, oh, there's more. Yeah. Um, and I contemplated that, but once again, financially, not feasible. And then as I was looking for jobs and applying for jobs, I was applying for HR jobs, so human resource jobs. And then I came about, I'm like, let me just see um, admissions counselor jobs. Yeah. And when I was searching, I noticed that they actually did not require a master's. Hmm. It was only a bachelor's. And I said, huh, interesting. So I started applying for jobs in both areas. Yeah. Um, then I had one of my um, mentors, um, um, Jenny Conley, and she uh, told me to apply for a job here at, at UNI. There was an opening for a multicultural recruiter position. So, to, you know, specifically working with students of color um, and to apply. So I ended up applying for different jobs. The only callbacks that I got for interviews were all admissions counselor jobs. Okay. And then the first one to offer the, a job was you and I. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I felt like it was destined, you know, it was destiny. It was meant to be. So I accepted the job offer and that was back in 2013 and then, um, became an admissions counselor. You and I said they were not done with you yet. Right. And then upon graduation and then started, uh, a couple months later and, um, that's it. And, you know, when I took the job too, I was like, I'm only going to do this job for a year. Okay. Why only and a year? Just a year. Cause I'm like, I just feel like, you know, my degree was business mm-hmm. and I'm going to look for corporate jobs. I'm just going to do it for a year and then peace out. And sure. 10 years later, and here we are. So I never <laughs> left. <laughs> so. Well, that's cool then. So you spent some time at UNI then. Um, what made you end up then branching out to Iowa State? Okay, so, and you you might know some of these people. Okay. So, okay, so I was in admissions working, you know, whatever, um, three years. Right. After my second year of working at UNI, someone also said, if, if you want to move up and, you know, we think you should, you got to have your master's. Mm-hmm. That always eventually comes up. Right. And I said, okay. And they're like, well, you can go to UNI, get your master's, go part time, and then you and I will pay for it and work full time. I said, okay. Yeah. So once again, Jenny Connolly, that, that friend and mentor, was the one that pushed me to start it. My third year, at UNI, I felt like, um, like I still needed to learn things, but I felt like I had just stopped learning. Yeah. And, um, I remember I went to a college fair. It, it was for middle school kids. Okay. And there I met two people, um, Kate Casa, mm-hmm. do, you, do you remember her? Yep. And Trisha. Yep. Yeah. So they were there. And after they and we were done, um, they're like, hey, um, do you want to go get lunch? So that was the first time that I had met them. And I was like, yeah, like, let's go get lunch. So we went to get lunch. And as we were eating, they're like, hey, there's a position open at, um, at Iowa State in the admissions office. We think you would be great. Like, just based on, like, hearing you and so forth. And I was like, ah, I'm okay. It's okay. <laughs> and I remember we left and Trisha was like, um, we'll see you soon. And I was like, at another fair. Uh-huh. You're like, <laughs> and, thanks, bye-bye. 
right? I was like, that's not going to happen. So uh, I left and then um, I had my yearly appraisal. Mm-hmm. And when I asked my supervisor at the time, I said, you know, what What do I need like to, do, you know, to learn more? Or like, what, what do I need to grow more? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that I can be doing? And, and they were like, no. I said, well, I think this is time then for me to look somewhere else. And I told her, you know, I'm, this opportunity came up. I'm just going to apply, see what happens and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I apply and then got the job offer and decided to take it. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's an opportunity to lead a team, which I had never, I had never supervised professional staff members, only students sure. somewhere different, you know, bigger. Um, so it was an exciting opportunity. And I remember when I interviewed, Kate and Trisha were there, mm-hmm. and I was, they're like, we told, they were like, we said we were going to see you. I said, I'm, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. So, um, and th- those two were honestly also uh, some of the biggest um, supporters and friends and advocates for me, and they truly helped me in my transition to Iowa State. That's awesome. Because it's hard going from one place, you know, that you don't know to, to another. Yeah. And it all depends on the support network that you have that can make it or break it. So, Shout out to them. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big reasons I was able to make the move from Iowa State to Texas Tech for grad school was Texas Tech was right there with me the whole time, like making sure things were okay all the way to they had a whole move-in crew when I moved into my first apartment that oh, all my coworkers got together and unloaded my car for me. So like that makes it or breaks it when you're moving someplace, whether it's an hour or whether it's 16 hours. Yeah, it really does. It's the people, you know, mm-hmm. that you'll be working with that that matter so so what was one thing maybe you were a little nervous about going into um supervising professional staff members since you had only done student staff members before um one thing i remember one one of the things that i was worried about was that um there there was a staff member there um and great great person ben yeah yeah i remember ben we were only a year apart and, you know, I remember I met with him and I said, you know, um, I don't want to invalidate your experience. Like, we're only a year apart. I said, I'm going to rely a lot on you on, like, Iowa State information and mm-hmm. experience. And, you know, he he knew Iowa State inside and out, even though he was not an Iowa State grad. Yeah. Um, so that was one of my major ones was, like, how do I supervise but supervise people differently based on where they're at? And honestly, my supervisory philosophy um, was created there that... I don't see myself as a supervisor. Okay. Like to me, I see like we're a team, we're a unit. I don't believe in hierarchies or titles. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, you hire people for a reason. You trust them to do their job. Mm-hmm. And to me is you, you hire great talent, but you utilize each other and them for brainstorming. And I think mm-hmm. that when you humble yourself in that manner, like I'm learning from you, you're learning from me, we're mm-hmm. learning from each other. Uh, I'm here to me, like I'm literally there to, uh, make sure that everyone knows what they're doing, um, that I'm creating a true team dynamic, um, and that they're feeling, um, supported. What, you know, what can I do at a professional level? Like, how do I get you to your next step? Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you need from me? So I think that, you know, I was nervous about the age but I wasn't that far off from them because yeah. I always saw supervisors as older, you know, <laughs> and my work, we were all similar in age. So I think um, 
what I ended up learning just, you know, I was afraid of that. And I ended up learning that it's just, you're just a team. Yeah. You know, you don't, there's no, like, we're all leaders. I was just, you know, I was just there to make sure that everyone's working well together and, and being supported and being there for them when they're needed. But we learn from each other. Mm-hmm. No, the way you talk about then me thinking back to when I was a student staff member, like, I totally realized I never felt like I was just a student staff member when I worked with you and everyone. It was, we are one team. My voice was not less than anybody else's, whether they had a master's degree or not. And I think that's why I have such good memories of working with you and working with the admissions people is I felt that way. I felt like I was an equal no matter what age or I didn't even have a degree back then. So no matter my education. No, yeah. And that, you could bring up a great point. I think, you know, students uh, run the university and that's not just from the admission standpoint but when you see students working in housing students mm-hmm. working in dining uh, and i think at the end of the day like uh, you know like i said i think we just treat everyone equally but also acknowledging that people need different support based yes. on where they're at their identity is right but i think yeah i don't to me like like i said i just don't like hierarchies and uh, I think I was able to create a team that, that didn't believe in that and was and worked well together and just saw everyone the same. I love that. What was maybe the biggest change you had to get used to coming from you and I to Iowa State, whether that was um, something that Iowa State did that you and I didn't do or just like life in Ames or something coming from Cedar Falls to Ames? Um, one of the biggest changes was just the sheer size. Yeah. Um, I hate... I hated uh, my parking spot. <laughs> well, first of all, you have to find a parking spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the fact that I'm like, I, you and I always complain when I had to park far away, quotes, far away. Sure. And that was literally like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I always stay. I remember like, if I didn't get to my parking spot on time, uh, which essentially meant didn't get to work on time. Yeah. I had to park by the College of Design Whereas mm-hmm. that was like a 15 minute walk. Uh, and I'm like, I'm paying like $300 for this parking pass. And then if I was lazy, I would just go park in the um, MU. <laughs> but that added up quickly. And even then I'm like, this is too much. Yeah. So that was a big change for me. It was the size, which then kind of brought everything, you know, from parking to like people just walked wherever they wanted. Mm-hmm. I was and one I of those people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, to me also, because it was so big at a professional level, um, it was silo. Like people sure. were in their own different units. Um, and that took a while for me to understand and grasp. Um, but honestly, like, you know, a lot of great things happened that I would say. A lot of bad things happened that I would say. But I, I would say grew as a professional. Mm-hmm. Like who I was when I left was not who I was when I started. Yeah. I learned more about myself. Um, and then I met some of my greatest friends at Iowa State um, as well. So I'm yeah. very grateful for the opportunity. I mean, that's life. Good, bad. That's how we learn. We learn sometimes more from the bad stuff than we do the good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um. So what's kind of family life like for you now? What What is your family doing? Where's everybody at? Are they all still in Columbus Junction? Yeah, so... Um, my last semester working at Iowa State, um, I had my mom and my grandma moved in with me. So my grandma had, um, Alzheimer's at the time. 
So kind of navigating that and uh, we needed someone to kind of take care of her. So my mom ended up uh, not working anymore and she took care of her. Within a few months, I got the opportunity to come back to UNI. So they ended up moving with me here to Cedar Falls. Okay. And then uh, literally a week or two in, a week after they moved in, my grandma fell, fell. Oh, no. And then after that, she couldn't just recover, you know? And, like, four weeks later, she passed away. So after she passed away, like I mentioned earlier, all of my family started to move. So mm-hmm. they moved to um, Texas, um, Arizona, um, Utah, and just to kind of be closer to the border. A lot of them are at a retirement stage sure. where, they, you know, they're choosing to retire and just go back between here and Mexico, which is to kind of have that opportunity. And there are some nicer places to retire than Iowa. <laughs> correct. Correct. And then the pandemic also. Sure. Know, one of my uh, uncles and aunts, they uh, they were really bad to the point of being hospitalized. Um, oh, no. Like it was at the you know forefront where we didn't know much about COVID. And um, so that also made them reflect, you know, like we want to be closer to our daughter who lives in Utah. Yeah. Um, so right now, only two of my aunts live in Columbus Junction. My mom lives here. And then um, one of my aunts also lives with me, too. So it's kind of my family dynamic now. Uh, my, you know, cousins are also spread out. Uh, and then I have my five-year-old Maltese, mm-hmm. Muji, which he's spoiled and He's basically, it's his house, and I just live in it. So. Yep. You pay him rent. Correct. <laughs> I guess the only nice thing about some of your family maybe going to some other states is if you ever go on vacation, you got free places to live. Correct. Yeah, I haven't had time, but I'm like, this. honestly, that's true. I'm like, we have places to go, and we have places to stay. So. Yep. Like, that's the nice thing about a bunch of my friends that I've met in college and high school and stuff. Now that they're living in different states, it's like, okay, cool. I want to go to New York. Well, I got a friend that lives in New York now. Or want to go to California. Got a buddy in California. So it makes traveling easier. Oh, gosh. So a little bit when I was in grad school, Lubbock was much closer to New Mexico. So I traveled all throughout New Mexico. Actually loved that state. Had never been before. And like now I've been there five times. Um, but family and I did a trip to Florida, um, finally to graduate or to, um, celebrate my graduation from Texas Tech three years later. So that was fun to go to Disney World. (laughs) Um, I visited some friends in Denver, so that's been very cool. Um, and then, yeah, I'm planning some trips to New York, some trips to California. And then I have a friend that just moved to Houston. And so I'd love to go visit them in Houston too. Yeah. And I mean, half the, half, or not even half, most of the expensive parts of going on a trip are where you're going to stay. So if you got someone you can stay with, that's half the battle. That's true. That's true. I agree. Do you have any big vacation spots you're looking forward to? Uh, <clears throat> so I just switched jobs. So I haven't had a chance to um, look at vacay, but I'm looking at maybe taking some time off the first week of August, but no spots. But I'm like, I would love to go to California. Uh, I am going there for a conference, but I'm like, that's different. Yeah, that's work. It's work. But I'm like, I would love to go to Florida. Uh, I've been to Texas a few times, and I do like Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, But we'll see what happens. We'll see what's up. Well, cool. Hopefully you do get around to California. And who knows, maybe you and I will be there the same time. Right. (laughs) Um. 
So yeah, um, while we were talking about your grandma too, since she was such an important part of your life, what are some of your favorite memories with her? Because like my grandmother and I, she was like my favorite person in the entire world. Like she lived 20 minutes away from me. Like going to her house is better than going to Disney World. So like what was like some of your favorite memories with your grandma? No, I feel the same way. Like to me, uh, my grandma was my go-to. So uh, my grandma, like I said, had 10 kids. My mom was the youngest. So, you know, they were very tight. Sure. Um, because my mom was a single parent. Like I said, she helped raise me. I remember being young and uh, I would always go to my grandma's bed instead of my mom's bed. <laughs> uh, so it's it little things, right? And uh, I would always claim to be my, my grandma's favorite because uh-huh. she raised me and she's, you know, my mom was the youngest. Um, a lot of it was just the things that she would say um, and do. And um, I came with like, I'm trying to think of, like, different things. Like, she was just funny. She was humorous. She was blunt, which I loved. Um, she w- she liked to play jokes on people. Uh, she liked to dance. Uh, so it was all, all those little things. And uh, eventually, like, it's I don't even, it's, like, you know, you, you miss them and you miss everything about them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you missed her laugh. Like, I miss her smell. Like, they have a smell, yep. you know? And, uh, yeah. So, sometimes it, maybe that's, like, therapy that I need myself. But I'm like, <laughs> I still, I don't feel like she's gone. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. It's, you know, when I, when my grandma passed away, um, I chose to not be in the room when she passed away. And I know it's sure. a very selfish reason for me. But I knew that I was going to take care of all, like, the paperwork and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, but I think that helped also me mentally because my last memory of her was not in the hospital room. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I went in after she had passed away, um, to me, like, I wasn't seeing her. Like, I'm like, that's not her on, in the bed. Like, that's mm-hmm. not the person that I know. And I think, you know she truly wasn't there like her soul wasn't there so i don't know i think my grandma was a big influence for me and a big factor of me pushing forward and she would always say like i'm not gonna see him graduate from high school and she saw me graduate from high school she saw me graduate from uni or muscatine even before that with my associates at uni with my bachelor's and she even saw me graduate with my master's um and she was also one of the reasons that i started my doctorate program too and I know that she'll still be with me, so. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. thank you so much for sharing that. Um, my grandma, I also did not end up seeing her pass away because of the pandemic. You couldn't go into hospitals at that time. So kind of like you said, you almost are happy. Or you got your last memories for her alive. That's mine, too. My last memory was visiting my grandma the last time before she ended up getting covid Um, and I don't know if I've shared this with many people, but that last time, because she was in a retirement home, they asked us not to hug, like, the residents that were there just in case you happened to bring something you didn't know about. Um, but there was a little voice in my head that was like, hug her, hug her. And that's the only thing I'm like, I never ended up hugging her. But that little voice, I'll never forget that it was like, hug her, hug her, hug her. Yeah. But it's just those little things that you always will remember and you always stick with you. Or like the smell thing. My grandma, I don't know what her perfume was, but she was a smoker. She just, that was just something when it, when she was young, it was the cool thing to do. And then it just became her part of her life. And so we had a sub one day, I had to be like young elementary school. And I was like, 
oh, I like your perfume. And she's like, oh, that's nice. I'm like, my grandma has the same time. She's like, cool. I'm like, but you're missing something. And she's like, what? And I'm like, you're missing Virginia Slim's menthol lights in the blue box. And she just gave me this look. And it took me till I was a lot older to remember that. I'm like, oh, my God, what did she think of me saying that? <laughs> that's funny. But they do, they, I mean, I feel like they all have, we all have our dis- distinct smells, but that that smell, like, sometimes, like, comes back. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's just weird. And I'm like, I'll be around, like, oh, I can smell her. And it's, and I, but I wish I had that constant smell. Like, you know, we, they're close. Yeah. We got rid of her clothes just for, like, you know, sure. like we got to move on. I made a pillow out of one of them. Well, one of my cousins made a pillow out of one of them and gave me that's as a gift. Cool. So that's nice. Uh, like one of her wardrobes or pajamas that she always used to wear, but like that smell, which I, I still had, because smell, smell is powerful, you know. Like yeah, it takes it right back to any memory. Correct. Yeah. Um. So right now you're back at you and I. You had mentioned before we had started the podcast that you're no longer at admissions, which I did not know that. What are you kind of doing right now? Yeah. So literally six weeks ago, I had the opportunity um, to step into a, a new role. So. Currently, right now, I serve as the director of student success and retention. That's cool. So, yeah. So within that realm, I oversee all of the transition programs for you and I. So orientation, extended orientation, um, welcome week, um, jumpstart, which is extended orientation for students of color. So I work a lot with that program too. And then I also work with. Uh, retention which is lo- literally looking at right at persistence and completion and interventions mm-hmm. so um working closely with uh, faculty campus partners to ensure that not only do we get students here but get them to cross the stage um so that's been a new role within the last six weeks i jumped right in with orientation and shout out to the orientation team because they already had it, had it handled but um that was a new thing for me, you know, to learn. So, um, so yeah, it's been exciting. Orientation to me is still recruitment, you know, it's, you know, you're selling the deal still. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been great. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on starting that new position, especially in the heart of your busiest season. (laughs) Or else I'm like, I would have taken three weeks off if I would have still been in admission. Yep. Took some time off during the summer, but I'm like, oh, I guess I cannot. Nope, never mind. Maybe that'll come August or September now. Right. <laughs> um, so what are you currently doing besides you got the new job and everything? What hobbies are you doing right now? I know you said you're in your doctorate. Yeah, so that's my hobby. So I yep. honestly don't have a life. And I started my program, the doctorate program, back in 2020 because also the pandemic. Sure. The pandemic hit, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, why not do a three-year doctorate program? So I applied, got in. Um, so the last, honestly, two years has been working, going to school, you know, doing homework, working on my dissertation. Um, I, I hope it to be done next year mm-hmm. uh, in May. So May 2023, hope to cross the stage. But honestly, like... That's why also it's hard for you to get a hold of me because if I'm not working, I'm going to school, I'm like doing the homework. Uh, It's a lot. It's too much that I just want my life back. So I'm excited for it to come to an end. I'm still in classes right now in the summer. We take two classes this summer. So 
it's it's been insane but hobbies you know still try to find time to meet with friends go out i love going to movies mm-hmm. uh, you know seeing the new movies that are coming out in theater love going out and getting drinks with friends uh, i go sometimes to visit friends they come to visit me so um uh, just kind of having that that downtime with with people that i love that's cool Yeah, we all need that, especially when you're working on a doctorate. You need that time where you can be with other people and not think about anything educational. Right, I agree. (laughs) So as we're bringing the podcast to a close, there's a question that I ask all of my guests. But before I do, I like to kind of just do a run through of what we've talked about. So from being born in Mexico to moving to California, coming to Iowa with your whole family, um having some teachers that really opened up new doors for you, um, getting your associates paid for, going to UNI, finding out that admissions and getting the master's degree was even a thing that was possible and existed, going to Iowa State, coming back to UNI. When you think about all of the things that you've gotten to do throughout your life, what is the main theme that you hope my listeners get out of your life story? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, the main theme, I would say there's, um, two, okay. um, one of them is find your support network, right? And what does that look like? And people that genuinely care about you and want the best for you and be that in return for others. Right. Um, one of my mentors, her name is Juanita, right? She always said like, never forget where you came from, stay rooted in who you are and why you're doing the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and she worked in higher ed for 40 plus years. And I try to stay rooted in that. It, and that I'm like, I try to give back, you know, the things that I do, the policies that I'm looking at to ensure that I'm paying it forward and, and bringing others in and making sure that we're not excluding other people. Um, with that being said, right. You know, higher ed and anything, even anything outside of higher ed, it's a system, a system that is not intended for a certain group of people, right? Mm-hmm. This system that is rooted in uh, racism, sexism, um, homophobia, transphobia, and so forth, all, all you know, the isms that you can think of, um, that my story, you know, is not unique. It's mm-hmm. an experience that a lot of marginalized folks have to go through that we have to overcome barriers. Um, but I also now that I'm also the exception, right? That I, I don't, that I'm, that I'm, how do I say this? That I'm not like, I did it. You can do too. Mm-hmm. You know, like I did it. What are, what are the struggles that I went through? And I want to make sure that you don't have those struggles. Yes. So I would say the themes of it is, you know, fi- you know, I think it's important to find a support network of friends, uh, mentors, um, but for listeners to also understand that, that these systems that we navigate daily, you know, they're created, um, to include certain people and exclude others. So what are we doing to ensure that others are being brought in, um, and just continue paying it forward and giving back? I love that. And it reminds me of something a mentor in grad school told me of, it's not just you climbing up by yourself when you're trying to get, we'll just say like a master's degree. Cause that was what she was talking about. It's yeah. you're getting up to the top. And then what are you doing when you're putting your hand back down to help other people get what you have? It's not, I have this master's degree, everybody and show it off. It's, 
hey, how are you going to get a master's degree? How can I help you get up to the next level that you want to be to? And I think that strings very much to what you were talking about, Alv. There are things that not everyone has the ability to get to do as easily. So what are we going to do to help make that easier? Yeah, I agree. I love it. Well, Jesus, thank you so much for taking out the time. I know you are super busy, and so I appreciate the time you've given to be a part of this. No, thank you, and it was great seeing you again. So keep in touch. Yes. Don't be a stranger. Oh, totally <laughs> won't be, especially now that I'm back in Ames and you're in Cedar Falls. Totally not far away at all. Yeah, an hour and a half drive. Not bad. Not bad at all. With that, that is another episode of Life Story. If you enjoyed it, please give a like and subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, I'm Tyler Honig. Make it a great day.